Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guest today is Precious McKesson, political director for the Biden for President Nebraska campaign and the Democratic elector for Nebraska's 2nd Congressional Electoral District. Our conversation is being recorded today by Zoom. Precious McKesson, a Nebraska native, is the political director for Biden for President Nebraska. She is the Democrat elector for the Nebraska 2nd Congressional District electoral vote and will cast the vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the Electoral College. McKesson is also chair of the Nebraska Democratic Party Black Caucus. Previously, she worked as finance director for the Nebraska Democratic Party. Precious, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you. I'm really glad that we're recording this um, this show in, in Jomaha, if I could say that. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, we're recording the conversation on November 17th, and President-elect Joe Biden is moving forward with transition planning. Uh, Donald Trump has yet to concede. It feels as if we should start with a deep breath and a pause to reflect after such a tumultuous time. And so I wanted to ask you, how do you feel right now? So we're 14 days out from the election and like over a week out from when um, we were announced that, you know, Joe Biden was president-elect. It's been overwhelming. It's been like, it's been a lot. It's been, um, you know, just trying to process everything. Um, But as well as processing it, you are doing the work to finish out the campaign that of the, the processes of the administrative part of the campaign. So doing your exit political reports, showing the different things. But I think this morning at four o'clock this morning, as I was doing the exit report, the one proud thing, and I hate, I mean, I hate to say this, but I was looking at other states' reports to be able to say, as a person doing that exit report, we are proud to get that blue dot. We won that blue dot. We won CD2. That really felt good because I didn't notice that on a lot of our reports and I had to go back and add mine. (laughs) because I didn't mention it in the report. So uh, it's just coming down off that and really trying to process everything and really, um, you know, see what's going to happen within the next, what, less than 60 days, about 60 days until the inauguration. Where did this motivation, this drive and this passion come from? And what was your upbringing like? What what kind of family context were you uh, raised in? Well, um, for many years, I was raised by a single mom, and then my mom married my stepdad, who was a blue-collar worker. He worked at Vickers. Um, if anybody's familiar with it, Vickers is where Target is now. <laughs> so um, my dad was, my stepdad was a union worker, um, so I was raised in a household with um, a brother and a sister, so it's three of us, and then um, a stepbrother and a stepsister. We had a, um, I grew up on 45th and Janes during the time where gangs was really, you know, just really just rabbit, you know, lost a lot of friends in, in middle school and elementary to um, or high school, I should say, to gang violence. My stepfather then made a decision to move us and built my mom a house, built her a house from the ground, said he wanted her to have a fresh start. So we moved right behind Northwest High School. So where Winninghoff is, when I moved there, Sorensen did not exist yet. 
it was nothing but cornfields, and our house was one of the second houses over there. So um, we moved there, and then um, I was very close to my grandmother. My grandmother had a very big influence in my um, upbringing. We had Sunday dinner with my grandmother every Sunday up until her passing in June of 2008. So we were very, very close-knit family, even though she lived in a very small house. I always say you had to get in where you fed in. So if you got to the table first, you got a table there. If not, you sit on the couch, hold your plate, eating and talking and laughing. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, I grew up in a very, you know, um, I'm not going to say middle class because my my parents still had to, you know, struggle to make ends meet. Um, especially my mom being a single mom up until, I mean, I, we didn't move into our, into, to a family style home until I was in about in eighth grade is when we finally, we all moved together as a family. So I was, you know, raised by a single mom and she made me ends meet. My grandmother was a housekeeper for over 20 years at Bergen Mercy Hospital. So, um, you know, we're kind of like your regular working family that are trying to raise their family and everything. So that's kind of a little bit of my background. What did you learn? What sticks out in your mind from this relationship that you, you so warmly remember with your grandmother? I'm curious about what you learned and what stands out from your relationship with her. Well, my grandmother um, was, uh, my grandmother never remarried. Um, I remember as a little girl, I mean, we moved to Nebraska when I was two years old. Um, So my grandmother was not married. She was, you know, in the um, military family, so she traveled a lot with her family because my grandfather was in the military. With her, what I really learned was how to be a strong Black woman and how to always take care of family and always support family. Um, No matter how tired she was or what was going on, um, she always made sure that her family came first. And we just really like had a strong bond. And I say when she passed away that Sunday, that part of my Sundays, that was me going to my grandmother's house. Um, But everybody know it led up to me going to her house because I mean, I had to take her to the store during the week because she just wouldn't just let us come over and not just get a free meal and not have to run errands with her. (laughs) So um, that Sunday we would just sit there and I could just literally recall just sitting on my grandmother's couch, falling asleep, watching TV. And, and I would go during the week, you know, I think I, I think I saw my grandmother at least at least five days a week and talked to her every single day. Um, and she was just a strong woman. She was strong and she loved. And I'm just blessed that I was able to um, have her a part of my life. When did politics or some some sense of activism in a community sort of beyond your neighborhood, when when did that first appear? Sort of what, what do you remember about that first kind of showing up in your life? Well, as a little girl, one thing people, I used to volunteer really early in life. So we, we grew up on 45th and James and we used to volunteer at the Redmond Nursing Home. So I was like maybe in the fourth or fifth grade volunteering around the corner. My parents didn't even know. They just, we would go in and ask them, can we help? And we would help with the, um, the elderly, they let us come in and volunteer. 
And then uh, one summer I did the wheelchair, um, wheelchair Olympics at UNO and volunteered there. So we all, I've always been had some volunteering in me, but my activism, I would say, did not really spark until around 2004 um, when I moved back home went to, um, after giving birth to my daughter. And really seeing that North Omaha, or just Omaha as a general, was still the same after being in Alabama and then seeing people that look like me in roles that I didn't see back home. So um, I always had an interest in it and wanting to know why people didn't vote or why people weren't elected and why we didn't have representation. Um, so then that sparked. And so I did some dabbling with the, um, the policy council for Head Start. Um, I was a president for that for two years um, while my daughter was enrolled in Head Start. And then from there, I went to be on the North Omaha Neighborhood Alliance board. And then from there, I have been running North Omaha Neighborhood Alliance for the last four years. Uh, what took you to Alabama and back? My boyfriend at the time took a job there and it was an opportunity to go to school there. So I took the opportunity to move and enroll in school. And then I worked full time at a bank. Um, there. And then I worked from there. I went to work for um, a housekeeping company where I was um, the administrative assistant and the um, human resources assistant. Once I came back here, I came back here due to medical reasons um, of being a single mom and being pregnant, being scared and being sick. I was like, nope, I'm going home. And I just felt Nebraska. For me, it, for me personally, it was just, it was home and I knew the care I could get. And so I came back here and I've been here ever since. I think some of the data is still being analyzed. Some of the statistics are still being analyzed about the, this, this election at a national and a local level. But I think it's undeniable that yet again, black women have played a really, really prominent role in what I would regard as not only political success, but also social success in changing a narrative about how we want communities just to be better places for everybody. So at a local level, and perhaps at a national level, what are you thinking about when, when you see the contribution of black women to local politics, local society, and then, and then we can turn that to a national lens? So for so long, black women and just in general have always had a strong relationship and have been loyal to the Democratic Party. You know, I, I, tell, I, I joke about this. I say black women are dedicated to the church. We're dedicated to our jobs and we're dedicated to the democratic party. <laughs> so um, for many years, we have really played a role into it. And the thing is that many times you don't see black women in senior level positions. You normally see them as your organizers, your canvassers, your phone calling. Um, but to see black women rise the way they are in the political process shows you that we are truly needed. And not only are we needed, we know what we're doing. You know, um, for instance, I always look at I look at Doug Jones when he ran a few years ago. And I really hate that he did not make it through on this election cycle. But when he ran a few years ago, it was black women that mobilized behind him clear across the state of Alabama. And to get him over that finish line, I honestly feel that's what happened this election cycle with Joe Biden. Black women mobilized. You had different groups. You had black women for Biden. You had sister circles. You had so many different coalitions working hard to get him over the finish line. But then not only that, you have black women in his campaign and his senior leadership, women of color. I'm not going to say black women, women of color who really, really, really showed up and showed out and did that work and really helped him get to where he is today. How do you see that locally? 
local level, I mean, the presence is, is so awesome. I mean, you have Kimra Snipe, who's doing her work. You have Shamika Greer-Simpson, who's doing her work. You have Morgan Freeman. You have Ashley Spivey. I mean, the list goes on of Black women who are doing the work to really to really get people educated in the political process. I think this year with you have Naomi Hathaway running, you have Cami Watkins, you have Jasmine Harris, you have so many, and, and, and there's more to come who will most likely announce for the 2021 cycle. Gladys Harrison, who ran for Congress, you know, with Morgan also. Those women are really setting the stage, whether you are a Democrat or an independent, but they are setting the stage to what to hold any elected official accountable. And they're really like bringing the message. And so you're seeing it locally. We need to see them more in elected. I say we need to see more of them in elected positions because <laughs> many of them are qualified to be an elected official, you know? So I would love to see what it brings to them in the next couple of years with, you know, with when I mean, we have 2021 election cycle, 22, 2022 election cycle. So I would love to see what it brings um, in the next two years with all of the, with, with, with all of those women. They are, we may not all agree it, agree and have the same, I should say, we may not all have the same view of how we do things, but we're all leading to the same road and the same finish. And that's to make sure that we have representation and we have people who represent us and represent us in a, in a way that we should be represented. Um, so no matter how we get there, I think we're all going for the same common goal. I don't know this, and I'm sure many people don't understand sort of the mechanics of a political campaign. So you're the political director for the Biden campaign in Nebraska. What does that mean? What, what do you do as a political director? So basically, I mean, you know, you have your state director and you have your coalitions and then you have your political director. I know people say, pressure, you're being biased. The political director is the most important position is the most important position on a campaign because you are basically the representation for Biden and Harris. You are making sure that their name is out there. You are making sure that the people who speak on behalf of them are people of representation and making sure the message is getting across. So I am talking to our stakeholders. I'm talking to our early endorsers. I'm talking to our former elected officials who have endorsed, who has a key part in the um, campaign. I'm running things by them. So I'm talking to your Bob Carey. I'm talking to your Brad Ashford. I'm talking to your Ben Nelson. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to them weekly, like calling them personally, saying, hey, this is what we have going. I'm talking to our elected officials, you know, making sure that our elected officials are involved. And, and, and I will say our, our local elected officials did an awesome job 
of being there and being supportive of the campaign. If it was just writing an op-ed, writing a, a press, doing a press release, doing being a, per, a panelist on a virtual event, they were there and willing to help. Hosting phone banks for organizing. So I'm making sure I'm building those relationships and making sure, and as well as with our friends and allies, we hosted a friends and allies call every week. Over, I think over 500 people on this email list and each week I would send out an email and we would give them up-to-date information on the campaign, on the national, and for the state level. So basically, the political director is building that relationship, making sure that the relationship of the the um, of Biden-Harris is being is there and is being formed, as well as if we have surrogates that come in town, like when we had Dr. Biden and Doug Emhoff come in town, my job was to make sure that that event went off without a hitch make sure that our surrogates got in. We got, we got the people there to represent it. The, it, it was a lot. It's a lot that goes behind, behind the scenes. So I feel that I have the most important position <laughs> on the campaign. Well, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? So um, Omaha, now called Joe Maha, Joe Maha, it went for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Other than, obviously, your hard work, Precious, what were the factors that you see as key to this little blue dot appearing in the middle of the country? Well, first, let me say every single sign and barn sign that you see across um, CD2, the Biden-Harris yard signs, those yard signs originated from my garage. I just actually got, just finished unloading the rest. I had about 5,000 left over after the campaign. But since we did not have an office during the pandemic, everything had to be done virtually. So my house was basically the Biden campaign storehouse (laughs) for everything. So with this, it, it took, number one, making sure the right message was sent out and that we had the right people who were carrying that message. One thing that I do feel that really stood out is that if you look at the Build Back Better plan, each constituency or coalition was done individually. So you had Joe Biden had a plan for the African-American community, our Latino community, Asian-American Pacific Islander community, our LGBT, our disability, our veterans, our military families. Every single constituency had their own, well, I should say coalition, had their own plan. And that's one thing that I think a lot of people appreciated about and because he did not put us all into one melting pot, especially when it came to our communities of color, our native communities, our Latino, our Asian Americans, our uh, African Americans. We all have different issues that impact us on a daily basis. And you can't put us all in one. You have to target it because there's no way that you can put us all in one and you're going to get a good result. We have to have individual plans. And I think that's one thing that stood out. And then the fact that he showed respect for, even though he was at the time he was a candidate, he showed the respect for what democracy looks like. And for four years, we have had someone who has disrespected everybody from our military to our disabled <laughs> to, to our every nationality. And we have someone who was basically saying, I'm going to restore the soul of the nation. And that's what we need because we need someone in there who's going to respect that we are not all going to agree. But when you have a leader who gives the respect and shows the, the leadership qualities and says, this is how we do, and it respects one another, then you, you follow suit. And that's why we won.
I want to turn to the Electoral College, and I don't know if you're making history, so please tell me, will you be the, the first African-American woman to be an elector in Nebraska? The first African-American and African-American woman. Magnificent. How do you feel about that? It's an honor, and um, I'm still processing it um, because I did not realize, when I, went, when I went to be the elector, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know everything behind it. Um, I wanted to be a delegate. I wanted to be a delegate to the national convention. And I was told like, Precious, you're already going to the national convention as a staff. Why do you want to do that? And so I said, you know, you're right. I don't want to take a spot from somebody else when I'm already going. And so um, I was like, well, you know what? I want to be the elector. Let's see what that does. And so I, you had to go in front of your central committee. And the thing is, I went up against, uh, I think she's a, maybe in her 80s true Democrat to the heart. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to hate me for going up against her for this because she really wanted to do it. But I just felt like, you know what, this is my time. This is the time for us to have some change, you know, in Nebraska. Let's shake, let's shake the table. Let's do something different. And so when I was elected by my peers from the CD2, I was like, wow, I couldn't believe it. But then I ended up nominating the other person as an at-large, you know, just in case if anything ever was to happen that we had somebody else. But this is not all about me because this is, at the end of the day, um, I'm not doing this just for me. I'm doing this for Nebraskans, not only CD2 Nebraskans, for all Nebraskans because uh, I represent everyday hardworking Nebraskans. That's what I represent. I don't just represent the African-American community. I represent hardworking Nebraskans who get up every day and provide for our families and want our families, want our children to go off to college, get the best education, travel the world, however they want to do. Those are the people that I represent. So um, I'm just doing it for everybody. Would you demystify this process? I mean, it's, I, obviously it's exciting. And, and you've talked about being selected by your party peers. So what happens now? You know, what's the 101 on the Electoral College and, and how you will go about this, um, you know, the casting of your vote? Yes. So on December 14th, uh, all the electors across the United States will go to their state capitals to cast the votes. Um, we will then cast the votes and then um, to certify the election, those vote, that certification will then be sent over to the con over to Congress. Congress will then certify it. And once Congress certifies it, then we're leading up into the inauguration. Uh, December 14th. It's a pandemic. So do you actually, you, you, will you attend our state capital in Lincoln? Will you attend in person? And, and what actually happens on the day? So I looked at past pictures because <laughs> I wanted to see <laughs> what it does. So it looks like we would have to go in person to cast those, to, um, to certify those votes with the Secretary of State and as well as with the governor. Um, the last time I saw a picture, they were all in a round, like a, a table together um, with the governor. Um, so I think we will be social distance. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've been to the, I mean, cause I worked at the Capitol before, so 
it's not like it's going to be like, oh, ooh, I've never been here. You know, I've worked there. I mean, I've walked past the governor's office numerous times just to be nosy and see what they were doing. Um, but um, <laughs> it'll just be something that, you know, number one, maybe once it gets to that day, it may hit me then. But just the fact that my grandmother is not here to see it. My aunt's not here to see it. Two of my biggest cheerleaders are not here to see it. But I just know every day that I'm making them proud. And um, not only that, my 16-year-old daughter will be there with me. I'll take her out of school that day because she will be there with me. And um, I hope to take my nieces. So I don't know social distancing. I don't know how it will go. But I do know I would love to have my mom and my, um, my nieces as well as my daughter there with me. And then I will FaceTime my sister so that she's in D.C. So she will be there live. <laughs> and I might just go Facebook live. I don't know. Just to, just to document the moment because it's something that, number one, not only even if and this is the thing that people don't understand, even if Joe Biden had not won, if he wouldn't have won the entire presidency, I would still have had to go down to um, cast that vote for him because he won the CD2 district. But what makes it even sweeter is that I'm casting that vote and he is going, he is the president elect. That's what makes it even sweeter for me. So um, overall, I'm just overjoyed, you know, and um, I don't know. I just, I guess that day we'll know what happens that day. Before we get all hopeful and happy, uh, let, let's introduce a little bit of reality too. At a federal level, it's, it's really, really likely that um, the Senate will stay Republican. It's also really, really likely that you know, 400 years of uh, systemic racism, decades of income inequality, they're not going to go away by January 21st. So I'm wondering what you see as the next step for you, how does 2021 roll out for you and your work? Oh, well, I mean, I'm already back at the Nebraska Democratic Party. Um, yesterday was my, <laughs> talk about take time off. I was like, no, I can't. We have a lot going on. Um, so right now we are really gearing up for the um, 2021 city elections. Um, I will, I am back as the finance director and um, I do, um, I take my role very seriously. I, you know, I'm blessed to be able to have Jane Klebb as a chair where she lets me have, um, I get to touch a lot of different areas, not just the finance. I get to have an input on a lot of different things and I get to um, sit in on a lot of things. So um, we'll have our first candidate meeting um, tonight and, you know, talk to the candidates and get them prepared for what's to come. And so we'll just basically, you know, I'll just just go back to where I stopped when I went over to the Biden campaign, just go back full swing. One thing I want to make sure that people understand is like, we don't stop registering people to vote just because the election is over. We continue registering people to vote. Um, that's a thing that we should be doing year round and educating people and giving them the tools necessary to be successful. 
Um, I'm just going to go back full swing and just, you know, let's get, let's get some Democrats elected in 2021. We have a mayoral race, a city council race. Let's just go ahead and let's just sweep it all across the board. <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> I wanted to ask you how you see the future for a polarized community locally, of course, but also nationally. I think you know, our own community in Omaha is similar to many communities across the country where groups of people just don't know how to talk with each other. I ask what your view on that is, uh, partly because I'm troubled that the Democratic Party and liberals generally seem to be talking about fact-based issues and about science and ideas grounded in that truth. And yet it seems that many Trump voters are occupying a media ecosystem that is geared towards identity and, and not truth. And so it makes me wonder, how do we bridge that divide when we're not even talking the same language, as it were? So that's the thing. It's not, everything is not going to go back the same. It's not going to just a flip of a switch. Like, oh, we're back to, you know, some type of normalcy. People have come to believe what they want to believe. But I think it starts with, number one, it starts with our, all of our elected officials understanding that science is real. Science is real. We have to follow the science. We cannot joke around. Um, since this pandemic has started, we've had so much false narratives like being thrown this, this, and this, and this. And, and it's like over 200,000, 250,000 people have lost their lives to this pandemic, during this pandemic. Someone has to be the lead to say, we have to respect those people that left this world because not only did they leave us, they left families and these people left alone. Many of them by themselves in a hospital. We have to give them some type of dignity and, and, and honor their, their legacy. And it's going to start with a leader. So it's not going to go back to change, you know, to, to the normal or, or what is normal, honestly, what is our normal? You know, none of us really know what that is at this point, but, we have to get to the point to where we have a level of respect for one another and we all can coexist. The one thing that I will say that with this past campaign has done for so long, many people for so long hid behind their views and they were able to hide behind their computer screens or hide behind, um, they, they weren't vocal. But for some reason, this, this administration opened up a door to let people feel as if it's okay to speak hate and feel the way they feel and do it publicly. We've seen so much that has happened to people. These are people that we, where many of us work with or many of us like see on a daily basis. And now we got to see how are they going to adapt? Because you don't have to worry about us. The people that have been believing this, we are saying, you know what? We will continue to do what we were doing. We will continue going to work every day. We will continue to follow the science. We will continue to show respect. But the people we have to worry about is the ones who showed, who showed up and showed out who they were. Those are the ones who that should be concerned with right now because now you can't take that back. So how do they heal? What do they use to heal? Because we're going to be okay. But them, they're about to struggle for the next four years because now they have to realize how do they get to a place of being accepted knowing that their views are contribute to a lot of hate? Th those are the concerns they should, they should be worried about. We're going to be okay. Me and you, Stuart, we're going to be good. <laughs> 
I, I so want to believe that. But, you know, you've got people like Governor Whitmer being threatened by, uh, you know, kidnap. Maybe a different way to put it is um, this, I see a lot of guns out there typically associated with uh, right-wing rallies. And um, that's, that's a thing, too. Like, that concerns me a lot, especially when we saw down at the state capitol when they had the hearing and they went with their guns. And after being as being a former um, employee, you know, a, a state, you know, state employee at the legislature, that really alarmed me because number one, it alarmed me because I think about it now. Senator Wayne's office was the furthest office away from security. We were like in the the dead corner, like it was the furthest office, you know, in the corner. And there was times, honestly, when I was at work by myself. I literally never unlocked the door because, you know, we don't, they didn't have, they didn't have metal detectors. Anybody was free to come in. You know, people laugh at me. I, my coworkers, number one, I, and I say this and I say this in a, in a jokingly man, I'm a black woman. So I'm always looking at an escape plan. I'm always looking through the exits and where to go. And so I would always joke, you know, with, with the, <laughs> my coworkers, Y'all can follow whatever y'all want to, but I know where I'm going out of that window right there leads right <laughs> And if my purse was always, you know, I told them, like, I'm gone. Like, uh, I'll, I'll check in and let y'all know I'm safe, but I'm going out that window. Like, you don't ask. Um, but it's just sad that we have to live in a world like that. You know, you live in a world when you go to the grocery store. Like, I'm I'm be honest with you. I try not to wear my, my, my political stuff or my Joe Biden, you know, support shirts or anything. Because um, when I was in Walmart, a few weeks ago, this guy literally started following me, had words to say because I had on a Joe Biden sweatshirt. And I was like, oh, and, and I don't know if he didn't feel like there's times where I, where I don't feel the fear and I, and I will speak back. But I never know. There might be a time where I can't speak back because it might be something, a totally different situation. So, I mean, we have a lot that we do have to be concerned with because, again, people now feel that they have this right to, but you do, you have a right to, you know, bear arms or however, you know, you have that, that's your constitutional right. But some people have abused it to the point to where it's doing things that are harming people in a, in a negative way. It's not like they're, you know, doing it for recreational or whatever, but you know, they're using it to, to, to contribute to hate. regret that 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 you had that experience i also regret that um unfortunately this has become somewhat more typical in our daily lives that you would have that thought process and and not just because you sort of talk about being a woman talk about being a black woman but also just having a political view that is um signaled through your clothing i'm mindful of this because only today reading reports that the secretary of state in georgia who is a republican elected official has been criticized by other republican elected officials and is receiving uh, death threats. I'm finding it dismaying that I'm not even remotely surprised that that is happening. But rather than focus on the negative, um, what makes you hopeful that this is going to change 
sort of here and more broadly? Well, I just think, you know, we just continue to be positive. And we, and as Michelle Obama would say, when they go low, we go high. Don't feed into it. Um, one thing that we really as a campaign would say, don't feed into the negativity. Don't, don't reshare negative things. Send the positive message. You know, even when, you know, they try to say, oh, voting by mail. No, voting by mail is convenient and it's easy. Don't let them fool you. You know, and that's one thing that we try to make sure that we do not fight fire with fire. We fight, we fight it with the positive message and with the truth and with facts. And I think that's one thing that we just got to continue to do. Um, don't feed into the negative. Don't feed into the, you know, the, the drama. I mean, it's, and it's kind of crazy to see that now Fox News all of a sudden now wants to be on the right side. It's like, <laughs> all these years y'all been feeding into this stuff. <laughs> And I was like, now it's like, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, we, we needed to have a change, you know? I'm like, so I'm like, um, I'm still not going to watch you, you know? <laughs> but, but they honestly, they, they've realized, you know, they've come to that conclusion. Even, even I look at Twitter. Now, this is the funny thing that when I look at Twitter, you do not see people, false news underneath <laughs> their, their uh, Twitter accounts or their tweets. But when you go to the president, there's like an actual message underneath every single one of his messages that should tell you something. And the one thing I do like about what Facebook has done is that when you go to share an article, they literally say this article contains political information and they know that you've not read it. Do you want to read the full article before you share it? People are now understanding that we have to give factual information because if we don't get factual information, we then send out, the false information and people don't know what's going on. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I think we're, I think we're, we're going in the right direction now, but it's not going to, it's not going to change instantly. It's going to take time. And we, and with, and with time, you know, they say all wounds heal with time. And I think that's, what's going to happen in this case. You know, we're bruised, but we're not broken. We're going to be okay. Politics, like all human relationships, complicated, it's messy, it's multifaceted, nuanced. And so at a national level, uh, you know, we hear, read a little bit about um, some you know, internal party fighting, the more progressive wing, the moderate wing, which to me feels like a redundant argument. We're, we're arguing about which message should we go forward with, which slogan is the wrong or the right one. But as I said earlier, we're not even talking the same language. I don't think it really matters at this point until, we, until we're able to actually talk about the same facts. We're, we're not going to craft the right message. But at a local level, I feel like there's always uh, room to be a better party. And I don't think the Democratic Party locally is without its own challenges. And so I think, for example, you see um, the Ashfords endorsing Don Bacon, who is our congressperson for this second district, um, which obviously would seem a little bit odd. Um, but then you also see some Republicans, you know, having endorsed Kara Eastman, who was unsuccessful in her race. So I, I'm just curious about how does the Democratic Party locally in Nebraska come together to focus on the fact that it is a minority party in this state? Yes. So my view, this is my personal, this is precious speaking, because I've been a part of a lot of controversy that's happened in the party these last two years which is kind of weird, but um, I've always said this 
and I stand by it. And my grandmother used to always say, what happens in this house stays in this house. And I think we need to do that a little bit better of, you know, um, my thing is, and I'll, and I'll say this, and, I, and, I've, and I've said this to Congressman Ashford, I've said this to him, I understand how you feel, but you should have kept your vote to, you should have kept that one to yourself, you know, whoever you vote for, that's your business, but to publicly come out and do it, I think it kind of, you know, I don't know, everybody has their, their feelings, and I think it was more of a personal feeling thing that they had, um, but I am a firm believer, and I'm going to, and I'm going to stick to this, what happens in this house stays in this house. And um, hopefully people will take on that mantra with me and we will continue to build um, and build those relationships and mend those relationships. You know, I'm open to um, to mending any relationship that I may have, um, which, no, I'm, I'm going to take that back. I'm willing to mend relationships because I know I had no part in breaking those relationships <laughs> because I was a newbie to this. And so I think I kind of got thrown in and it was kind of like, oh, well, we're going to say this. But they didn't realize that she talks back. Like she does not, she talks back. Like she's not, she's not one to, to go down without a fight. And so um, really willing to work with anybody um, and work on those relationships and mend those relationships. But again, we have to get to the point to what happens in this house stays in this house. Um, the Republicans, I hate to say it, but they are really good at having their internal drama and you don't, sometimes you don't hear about it. But I mean, I'm not gonna give them that much credit because if you look at their their tweets today, they're talking about he won. So I'm not, I mean, I can't give him too much credit because somebody somebody is doing something. But we just gotta just learn how to just keep what's going on internally and really focus on the issues and focus on what's going on because if we continue to have these this divide, we won't really we won't make it and we gotta we gotta fix that. So uh, again, what happens in this house stays in this house, and we have to go with that mantra. <laughs> We have to. I've never been known for my cautious side. You should know that I'm well aware. I don't want anything left untried. Will you come with me, Mom? This is a really, for me, a pretty dramatic success in the second congressional district. This, you know, the Joe Mahar dot. How over the next, you know, many years does what is a pretty reliably red state become at least a purple state? Well, it came close in CD. We, we were able, we were almost close to CD1. We were, it looked really good in CD1 during the, um, you know, the night. I think we just need to continue the message and continue talking about the issues and not speaking and not keep talk about the issues that are impacting Nebraskans. And we keep on that. And I, I, I can see us becoming a purple state, honestly, um, because we, we all have 
the same issues and we're all fighting for the same common goal and that's to to have to provide for our families have good health care good jobs affordable housing safe schools you know we're all we're, we want that and so we just got to keep talking about the message and pushing the message and i think we can do it and my final question for you precious when and for what office will you be running <laughs> for an elected role I knew that was going to come. <laughs> it wouldn't be an interview with a, you know, someone involved in politics if I, if I didn't right. ask the question. So I will say this, Stuart. I will not be on the ballot in 2021, but do not take me out of the game for 2022. What I love about that is that right now people are listening to this and they're afraid for their office. I hope they are. Because let me tell you something. Um, one thing that I've learned and, I, and I've sat in different you know, different sessions and learning sessions. And one thing they've said is that you do not go and attack a seat for somebody that's doing their job. Because it's, a you know, if someone's doing their job and elected official, you let them continue to do that job. But if they're not doing their job and you see fit that you need to do that job, then that's when you go in there. And so, um, like I said, you know, 2022, there's a lot of seats that are open and I, there's a lot of people that are qualified and I feel like I'm qualified to run for a lot of different seats. And so um, I will sit back and I will, um, you know, my daughter will be graduating from high school then. So she'll be on her way to college. And so that's always said, you know, Hey, she won't have to be under that microscope. She'll be starting her freshman year of college. And um, you know, we'll just see what happens. We'll see what happens. My guest today has been Precious McKesson, political director for the Biden for President Nebraska campaign and the Democratic Party elector for Nebraska's second congressional electoral district. Precious, I am so grateful in such a busy time of hard work for you that you shared this, uh, this time with me and the listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate the story. Thank you. I'm going to adjust my camera for you a little bit so it can look a little bit more snazzy in there. (laughs) (laughs) That's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at livesradioshow. The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Live's radio show and podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more.